0: Thank you, Dr. Bill. Appreciate you, brother. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, guys. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Levi Scott. I'm the student pastor here at Fellowship Nashville, and I'd like to welcome you guys this morning. I see a lot of faces of people I love this morning. It's it's good morning. It's definitely a good morning. Uh, if you're joining us via live stream this morning, we'd also like to welcome you. We're excited you decided to join us this morning. Uh, as, as Bill just said, we are uh, we took a quick break from our study of the book of John, about four or five weeks, to go through a couple different studies. And we are jumping right back into that narrative this morning. And when last we left, we were in John chapter 13, and our very own Gus Andalina walked us through the... the Yeah, whoo, love Gus. Uh, the, the first half of chapter 13, looking at Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And if you haven't checked out that sermon yet, I would really encourage you to do so. He did an excellent job. Uh, as we get ready to dive back into the narrative this morning, I have uh, a question for you guys to just, just ponder it in your brains as, as, as we're about to dive into the Word, but just ponder this question in your brains. What is a memory or a thought of yours that, if it were made known to everybody here right now, would make you feel ashamed a memory, a thought, something that you just, I mean, you, it, it popped in your brain immediately, I guarantee it. But something that happened or something that has happened or something you've said that if it were made public today would make you feel shame inside. For some of us, maybe for many of us, that may be a hard question to even consider because if we do, it allows room for those memories that we've done a really good job at, at squishing down and pushing aside to leak back into our brains and to fester and to sit for a little bit. We've done a really good job hiding them away. All of us have done something that we're ashamed of. All of us have turned our back on Jesus in some way, shape, or form. And many of us have confessed belief in the risen Christ. But in public, we may be afraid to proclaim that faith or to identify with that faith. We've all been unfaithful to Jesus at some point in our attempts to follow him with our lives. Perhaps you're even here this morning and you've done something rather recently that's coming to your brain. Something that you're ashamed of. We have all betrayed Jesus. It's my prayer this morning that this message will encourage your hearts. As we see a picture of Jesus' pursuit of those who betray him. As we walk through this text, there are going to be three truths that we're going to see, and they're going to become very, very clear. But I'm going to give them to you now just so that you can mull them over in your your brain as we walk through. Number one, Jesus knows you. Number two, Jesus pursues you. Number three, Jesus loves you. So those three, just keep them in your brain for the time being. As we jump into chapter 13 of John, we're going to see a change in tone. We see, we see Jesus, as he is watch, washing the feet of his disciples, say in verse 11, not all of you are clean. Jesus adds a little disclaimer at the end, uh, or rather in verse 18, that shifts the focus towards a more looming concern in Jesus' heart. If you're able, would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word, John chapter 13, verses 18 through 38. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now because it takes place, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus, of whom he was speaking. So that disciple leaned back against Jesus and said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot that after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. No one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought it was because Judas had the money bag. Jesus was telling him, buy uh, what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone, Jesus said, this Or excuse me, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. Just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another." By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have have denied me three times. Would you all pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, For the time we get to spend in it this morning. Give us open minds and open hearts to experience all that you want us to this morning. We love you so much. It's because you loved us first, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Y'all can sit down. All right, we got a lot of verses to get through, and they're super rich and they're super deep, so I'm just going to dive right in. Uh, Verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus adds this disclaimer in verse 18. I am not speaking to all of you as he quotes from Psalm chapter 41 verse 9. Even my close friends in whom I trusted, whom ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. This verse is explaining the betrayal of a close friend with a phrase plugged in the middle that gives us an even deeper understanding. My close friend who ate my bread. In the ancient Near East, sharing a table, that is sharing a meal together, was a fiercely intimate occasion. That's why you see so many people through the gospel freaking out over who Jesus sits with and who Jesus eats with. In Mark chapter 2, verse 16, it shows this attitude after Jesus has just talked and called Levi, son of Alphaeus, to follow him. In verse 16 it says, and the scribes of the Pharisees when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It isn't casual community. It's intimate and it's very personal. Not just next door neighbors, not just someone you see at school, but someone you confide in, someone you feel safe with, someone you trust, and someone you love. Each and every one of the 12 disciples fits this description. They are a very tight-knit group. Verse 19 and 20. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. In the Greek, it's the words ego me." which literally mean, I am. It's the exact same words, literally the exact same words used in John chapter, five, or excuse me, John chapter 8, verses 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Exact same words. So if we want the most literal, literal translation, it would say that when it does take place, you may believe I am. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God says this phrase from a bush on fire as he commissions Moses to go to Egypt and command Pharaoh in the name of God to free his people from slavery. In John chapter 13, Jesus is saying this phrase to his disciples as he is hours away from freeing his people from sin. That is a gorgeous reflection and completely on purpose. John chapter, or excuse me, verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, just, this is just a baseline fact that everybody should know about the Lord. This is just baseline, and a lot of you already know it, but it still needs to be said. He knows everything. Absolutely everything. Not because he investigates the future, not because he's a good guesser, but because he is in utter control of all things that occur in this world. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Isaiah 14 verse 24 says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. John chapter 10, verse 17 through 18 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father, the Lord answers to no one. Absolutely no one. And yet, we see in verse 21 that he says that he is troubled in his spirit. The New English translation uses the word distressed. He's distressed in his spirit. Why would someone who is in complete control of time and space feel troubled in their spirit? It's a good question to ask. One of his closest friends is about to sell him into the hands of the oppressive religious elites. He will be brutally beaten and murdered for doing absolutely nothing wrong. Jesus has poured out his heart and has intimately walked with these 12 young men for three years. They have seen God in ways no human since Adam and Eve has experienced, and yet he will be betrayed. He is fully God and fully man. His heart aches for the loss of his close friend, and yet he is fully aware of this and has been aware of this since before time began. Which leads us to our first truth. Number one, Jesus knows you. Psalm 139 verse 4 and verse 16 16 says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Our days, our hearts, and our minds are all created and seen by God. Nothing can be hidden. He knows you. From your favorite memories to your darkest, most shameful secrets, he knows it all even before you do. He's not a fortune teller. He's not a mystic. He's the all-powerful Lord of creation. He knows. Now, that awareness, like I know a lot of y'all know that in your head, like God knows everything, but like when you really let that penetrate your heart, that awareness of God knowing everything may elicit some different emotions in your heart. That might be, there might be anger, there might be fear or sadness, sadness. But don't worry, this is only the first truth. We'll get a a much fuller picture as we go forward. This is not the obviously it's not the end. Verses twenty-two through twenty-six. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple leaned back against Jesus and said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. The disciples are reclining at table as they are amid their last supper together. Now, when I say last supper, a lot of visuals might come to your mind. For me, it's this one. And for many of y'all, you might share this with me. Y'all might think of the last supper by Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci. And while I would love to see this in person, it's a beautiful piece of artwork. I'd love to travel to Milan and see it in person. When we are reading this passage, I want you to erase this from your brain completely. This is not an accurate depiction of what an ancient Near Eastern meal would look like. So I'm going to set the stage for you. I'm going to give you some details to kind of give us a clearer picture, and then we'll walk through this event together, and hopefully we have a little bit of a deeper understanding. So, I want you to picture a group of 13 Middle Eastern gentlemen, Jesus and his disciples, gathering for a meal. They're either surrounding a solid rectangular table about six inches off the ground or a U-shaped table called a triclinium, also about six inches off the ground. And they are surround. And each table, whatever picture you have in your brain, there's a lot of debate around it. Regardless if it's a solid table or a U shape, there's some debate. But regardless, surrounded by cushions, each partaker of the meal would have been reclining on their side, leaning on their arm, and using the other to participate in the meal. So in the Middle East, the right hand is considered clean. So most likely, they're leaning on their left arm leaning on their side, and they're eating with their right hand, partaking in the meal. Jesus would have been sitting at the place of highest honor. There's a lot of debate around exactly what spot on the table that would be, but just picture it. He's sitting at the most important spot. Are y'all picturing it? Y'all got it in your brains? All right. In response to hearing Jesus' statement about his betrayer, none of his disciples knew who he was talking about. This is further testament to what I harped on like a month and a half ago. These men were in intimate relationship and in ministry together for three years. Nobody suspected Judas. Nobody did. It's such an unexpected twist that in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, Scripture literally tells us that they start asking it of themselves. They're not saying... When Jesus says, "Oh, someone's going to betray me," they're not saying, "Oh, well, it's clearly Judas because we hate Judas; he's the worst." We all know Judas is terrible. Like no, nobody suspected. They start in Matthew twenty-six and Matthew and, and Mark fourteen. They start saying, "Is it I, Lord? Am I going to betray you? Is it me?" They assume themselves before anybody else. That's how tight they were. It's a further testament to how tightly knit they truly, truly were. The fear and anxiety in that moment is almost palpable. Someone is about to betray the Son of God. And in verse 23, we see the disciple whom Jesus loved, who we know is the author John, is sitting at Jesus' side. Now the seat to the right and the seat to the left of the person of highest honor is the best spot for anyone who is not the most important person in the room. So if you're sitting at the right and to the left of Jesus, that is the highest honor for anyone not named Jesus. Before the meal, Jesus would have gone up to two of his disciples and said something like, Hey, buddy, I, I, hey, guys, I, I would love it if you sat next to me today. I, 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 want, I want you to sit with me today. John is in one of these spots. Peter, who normally has no problem shouting out exactly what he's thinking, doesn't feel comfortable doing that in this moment. So, in verse 24, we see Peter motion over to John to ask Jesus. So they're all, what are you betray me? They're all questioning. There's this weird kind of, the mood is so strange and Peter doesn't feel comfortable. So he, you know, he's leaning and he's eating. He, oh my gosh. And he looks over at John and he goes, trying to meet his eyes or something. John, ask him. him. Like, he's trying to, like, that's what's happening. He motions over because he's not going to shout it out. He's like, come on. John is most likely sitting to Jesus' right as he is putting weight on his left arm. And scripture says that he is leaning back against Jesus. So he's leaning on his left. Peter says, you ask Jesus... And it says he leans back against Jesus and he goes, he leans back against his chest and he says, hey Jesus, who is it? So Jesus is here. John is on the right. Leans back against Jesus. Jesus tells him he's going to dip the morsel and give it to the guy and he gives it the morsel to Judas. Everybody is laying down. John is on Jesus' right and there is a lot of debate. I mean a lot of debate on who is sitting on Jesus' left. Now, we know it's not Peter, since he had to get John's attention to ask Jesus a question. So if, because if Peter was sitting right next to Jesus, he'd just be like, hey, Jesus. Like, like he's, he's on the other side of the table. So who is it? We don't know for 100% certainty. But this is, I'm going to give you all the theory that I personally hold to. Y'all you do your own kind of study, comb through the word. But this is, this is the theory I hold to. So... There are 11 other disciples around this table. You've got Jesus, you've got John on the right, all the other disciples. They're all spaced out around this table. Jesus dips the morsel. He's laying down like all the other disciples. He's a man, he's eating. Dips the morsel. He gives it to Judas. It would be hard to give it to anybody around this table, to reach anybody around this table except for the guy on your right and the guy on your left. Y'all, I think Judas is sitting in this place of honor. I really, really do. Which is crazy because that would mean that Jesus, before this meal, he's talked with John. John, could you sit with me today? Oh yes, I can sit with Jesus. And he goes over to Judas, the guy who is going to betray him. Judas is he he knows what's going to happen. He's already got this plan figured out, and he goes up to the man that Judas that that Jesus knows for a fact is going to betray him, and says, "Hey Judas, man." Well, crazy week, right? Like this festival, we're buying food, you're in church of the money bag, you've been buying all this food, it's crazy, wow. Hey, man, listen, I would love if you sat next to me tonight. I'd love it if you got to sit next to me. That's insane. That is crazy. Even if you don't subscribe to this theory, which it's okay if you don't, this is not a 100% thing, this still would not be out of Jesus' character, considering that early in this very chapter, he washed his disciples' feet, which included Judas. Which, if we're putting on the hierarchy of, oh my gosh, that's crazy, washing the, your betrayer's feet, taking the role of a servant, that is significant. That is a way bigger deal than having somebody sit next to you. So, if you're putting it like, this is not as big of a deal as him washing Judas's feet. So... This would not be out of Jesus' character at all to be like, Judas, I want you to sit here after I've just washed your feet. Which leads us to our second truth. Jesus pursues you. Even in the face of betrayal, Jesus is pursuing Judas like crazy, giving him every opportunity to follow. And we see three times in this chapter, Jesus appeals to Judas to confront his sin. Verse 10 Verse 18 and verse 21. You are clean, but not every one of you. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. One of you shall betray me. Jesus is giving him every chance to repent, serving his own betrayer, pursuing intimacy with Judas until the final moments. We will even see Judas, or excuse me, we will even see Jesus pursue Peter as he's about to abandon him and deny him. In fact, every one of these disciples will run and hide without hope at some point in this biblical narrative. Jesus pursues those who betray him relentlessly. Some of you may ask or be considering, well, what does this have to do with me? I've never betrayed Jesus. I've never sold Jesus. I've I've never done that. I've never betrayed him. Yeah, we have. Our sin is a direct betrayal of Jesus. But despite this, he pursues you. He washes your feet. He calls us to admit our betrayal. And he seats us in places of honor. We serve a very merciful God. Verse 27 through 30. Then after he'd taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Satan entered into him. That Greek word for Satan is satanus, which literally means the adversary. The adversary entered Judas. The adversary of all that is good and holy entered one of the Son of God's best buddies. To make this verse even more terrifying, look at the sentence structure of verse 27. Jesus said to him, Now, whether that hymn is in reference to Judas or in reference to the adversary, I honestly don't know. But sadly, I think both answers would technically be correct. Judas' identity was not in Christ, but was in the adversary of Christ. And after this interaction, the disciples still didn't know Outside of John, nobody was aware of this morsel dipping code. John knew. Nobody else knew. They all thought Judas was going to buy food for the feast or give money away to the poor. Verse 31 and 32. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. The first words out of Jesus' mouth after watching his dear friend, filled by Satan, walk out the door, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. Immediately in this dark and troubling moment, Jesus proclaims the glory that is occurring and will continue to occur. He He is fully aware of what is around the corner. Death, torture, disrespect, pain, blasphemy, and yet glory. Verse 33 through 35. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Where I'm going, you cannot follow. Can you imagine hearing that if you were one of Jesus' disciples? You have been the tightest knit, most intimate group of buddies for three years. You have been thick as thieves and you are about to part ways. I'm honestly not surprised at how Peter responds here in a couple verses. We'll look at that here in a second. But the very idea that they wouldn't have even the option to follow Jesus is completely foreign to them. We then see Jesus give this new commandment. I put air quotes around it because it isn't new per se, but the context in which we take it has a whole new meaning to it. Leviticus 19 verse 18 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The disciples have been taught the Hebrew scriptures. They knew they were supposed to love their neighbor, but this commandment is different. This commandment holds a totally new kind of weight. Love one another just as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Which leads us to truth number three. Jesus loves you. I know many of us grew up saying or even hearing that phrase ever since we were kids. But sadly, I think the life-altering, earth-shaking meaning behind this statement has been lost to many of us. Even as I'm reading this, like i I. I, I Put this sermon together, and I still recognize it's like, I've got, I've got to come to terms with this. What is Jesus about to do? He's about to die. He's about to lay down his life and get absolutely ripped to shreds for the people who betrayed him, utterly beaten to a pulp for people who betrayed him. Y'all have, we've got to let this sink in. This is absolutely pivotal. Love isn't a good feeling you get for helping. Love is not the satisfaction you get for completing a mutually beneficial task. Love isn't the mushy feeling when you see that attractive person across the room. 1 John 4.10 says, "...in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins." Y'all, love is a choice. The choice that God made to send his son, the choice Jesus made to willingly die, to die for betrayers like Judas and like Peter and like me and like you. That's love. You know what's really, really crazy though? I was thinking about this as I was like, how crazy this is. He could have avoided all of it. He could have avoided all of it, but he faced it head on for us. We owe, like, he, he owes us nothing. We deserve absolutely nothing. That's true. We don't deserve anything. But he gave us everything He didn't have to, but he did. That's the love we are called to represent. This is how others know that we are disciples of Christ sacrificial, selfless, unrelenting love. Easy, right? No problem. No, super hard. Verse 36 through 38 Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. I was talking about this in the first service. I uh, when we were on the disc golf trip that Brett was talking about. We were in the car, you know, you just chatting or whatever. And I can't remember who it was. It might've been Brett. I can't remember. But someone was like, Levi, when's the last time you cried? And I was like, oh, it was probably yesterday or <laughs> maybe the day before. I can't remember. But it was, I, I remember, it was reading this section of the passage. I feel like oftentimes, and I don't know if you guys share, with, share this with me, but I oftentimes get in these ruts And I start putting Jesus into this weird, historically incorrect bubble of the the talking down to us God, or the emotionally distant God, or the passively uncaring God. Those are lies, lies. I'm going to read verse 36 again. It's just so good. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Jesus is comforting Peter. He's comforting him. Jesus was just betrayed by Judas, and he will soon be betrayed by Peter. He knows that. He's completely aware of that. And yet in this moment, he takes time to comfort Peter. This may sound harsh, but it's true. I think often we can give Peter a pass because he's Peter. Everybody knows Peter, but I feel like we can sometimes give him a pass. Judas sold Jesus for money. Oh, he's the worst. We hate Judas. He sucks. He's the worst. But I think we can often give Peter this pass because Peter pretended not to be a follower of Jesus. But that's fine, right? It's fine to, you know, like, you know, I go to work. I do it all the time. No one knows I'm a Christian. I do it at school if you're growing up do it at school don't talk about it at all if someone asks me maybe even in your life someone's like are you a believer and you might have said no But, but like so I do that all the time so that's a pass right what Peter does is betrayal denying relationship with Jesus is utter betrayal and yet Jesus comforts Peter Peter you can't follow me now but you will afterwards. Don't worry. You can't follow me because you're going to abandon and betray me, but don't worry. But Jesus, I, I I'd die for you. I die for you today. I'll, I'll, I'll follow you anywhere. Not yet, Peter. You will, not yet. First, you have to deny me. It's kind of a sad way to end a chapter, right? At least I feel that. But don't worry. The story has a happy ending. I won't spoil it for you guys, but it 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 ends it ends happily. As I invite the band back up here, I want to speak these truths over you again, but first I want I want you to put yourself into a posture of of listening. Growing up, my, my parents used to say this to me and my siblings. They used to say, I don't want you to hear me. I want you to actively listen. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. That's what I want y'all to do. I, won't, I don't want you to just hear the sound waves bouncing against your ear as you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to, to serve my church by helping tear down after the service. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Like, I, that's awesome. I'm glad y'all are wanting to do that. But like, for now, I want you guys to just, just get in this posture of, I really want you to hear what I'm about to say, because what I'm about to say is true, completely true. Jesus knows you. He does. He also knows the depths of your sin. He knew everything about Judas. He knew everything about Peter. And he knows everything about you. He knows the junk you've done. He knows the junk you carry. But this gives us hope. Because... Despite everything, Jesus pursues you. You've stumbled. I've stumbled. He knows. You've betrayed him on numerous occasions. He knows all the junk we carry. Even the really gross and heartbreaking stuff. He knows. But he is still pursuing you to wash your feet, to sit you in a place of honor. And through it all, Jesus loves you. How do we know? Because it was demonstrated most tangibly at the cross. Jesus died to take care of our sin, our shame, our junk. I want y'all to really, really take this one in because absolutely everything hangs on this statement. Everything. Jesus, a member of the triune God, creator of the universe, loves Not by obligation, not by duty, but by perfect choice. Jesus loves you in full knowledge of all that you are and all you ever will be. And if you guys hear that voice in your head that's saying, oh, I already know this, I already know this, I don't need to, yeah, I already know this. I don't need to hear this again. I've heard this before. Jesus loves me. Yeah, I heard it in Sunday school. Push that away. Push that away. We need need to continually speak this and preach this to ourselves because we've been hearing it since we were kids. There's a reason for that. It's important. We have to realize the gravity of this statement, you guys. Jesus loves you but y'all pray with me heavenly father we are so thankful we are so thankful that you pursue us relentlessly despite knowing every single piece of junk that we carry. You pursue us relentlessly, not because you have to, but because you love us. I pray that that penetrates our hearts in a way that it hasn't in a long time. God, help us to realize how Crucial and life-changing and life-earth, whatever shattering that is, that the Son of God, that the Creator of the universe, looks on us and smiles. We love you so much, and we know it's because you loved us first. And it's in your Son's name that I pray.